I'm glad to be back. I missed you last week. I am uh, really excited to be back worshiping. I can't even begin to tell you how much I missed worship with you last Sunday. I, ha- I have a, one quick story to tell you about um, our trip, but first I want to read this, uh, this card from Mr. and Mrs. Gallette. Dear church members, thank you so much for the beautiful day, for making our dreams come true, and the blessing something was, some, everything was, so special, especially the plantains and the picklies. <laughs> we felt like home without even having to travel. Only God can tell our speci- how special the moment was uh, in our lives, only, only for him. And uh, sorry, I'm having trouble reading. Might be, might be my contact lenses. Uh, we will, we will pray God's blessing to you for what you did. Everything was special. Thank you so much, Yonel and Bertide, uh, the Galette family. It was pretty special, wasn't it? And now that we know how to throw a wedding. Pretty soon we're going to throw a baby shower. No, not for the same family. Not for the same family. No, 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 no. Not for the same family. Um, but we got to share great news uh, this week from the Lunas. Uh, Jay and Mary Luna have a baby. And uh, that is really awesome. And uh, we're, we're going to throw a baby shower. Isn't that cool? <laughs> And I know the men, in the, the men in the room are already looking around saying, do I have to be there? <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that. <laughs> One quick announcement, and I'm going to share a story from our trip, and then I'm going to continue with our series and the Sermon on the Mount. After church this morning, we're inviting you to stay, spend a few minutes visiting, greeting one another. And then uh, if you can, make your way back to the front. We're going to stay and spend some time praying together. We had been doing this every Sunday. But like many good things, we slipped out of the habit. And this is not a habit we want to slip out of. This This is a part of our church life that we want to maintain. So... If I forget to tell you at the end of the service, remember, we're going to put a timer up on the screen. Ryan is going to put a timer up on the screen, something like 15 minutes or so. Gives, gives people a chance to get up, stretch, get your kids. Uh, if you have to leave, uh, you can leave. No, no judgment. No judgment. No guilt. This is a no guilt. This is a guilt-free zone. Planet Fitness, whatever. No judgment zone here. But if you can, stay and pray with us. You don't have to pray out loud. And no one's going to hold up a scorecard. Judges award, six and a half, six and a half, seven, five and a half, bad grammar, whatever. There's no judgment, okay? We invite you to stay and pray with us. We have some things, some, some specific things we want to pray into, and then some general things that we're praying about. All right. Um, in case you didn't know, we were on vacation uh, a week ago. We, 
we took a motorcycle camping trip. My three sons, all three of my boys were with me. That was awesome. And our oldest grandson and uh, Kelly's brother, Mike, and one other friend who had a motorcycle, we, we set out, we, we spent four days making a one-day trip. Because <laughs> why not? We took the long way around. And uh, we were camping at each night at different places. And uh, the second night, we were camping in, uh, in um, one of my brother-in-law's friend's backyard up in Skinny Atlas, New York. That's a real name, Skinny Atlas. We were camping, and uh, two of my sons and I, we have, they have converted me to hammock camping. All right? That's the way to do it. See, because when you get to be a certain age, getting down onto the ground is not easy. Getting back up off the ground is even less easy. And so they converted me two years ago to camping, to sleeping in a hammock. And uh, the first night, we had to go find trees to hang our hammocks in. That's a different story. But the second night, we found these nice trees. We used my brother-in-law's pickup truck, our support vehicle, as one of the anchor points for the hammocks. That was interesting. And uh, about 2 o'clock in the morning, now I had to get up just before 2 o'clock and go into the house. I don't have to tell you why. And when I came back out and got back in my hammock, about 10 minutes minutes after 2, I got back in my hammock, and I noticed that there were flashes of light in the sky. And I started to hear some rumbling. And then some raindrops. And I went through my middle school science and I asked myself, if lightning hits the tree my hammock is tied to, am I grounded? I have these, these strings staked to the ground. The stakes are aluminum. Do they conduct electricity? And the cords... Are they conducting electricity? There's some kind of reflective thing in them. Is that metal? So I was reviewing in my mind the rules about being struck by lightning. And uh, then it started to rain for real. And my one son uh, said, I think we need to go inside. And so I went and I woke up the guys who were sleeping in in the tents, the old-fashioned way. And uh, my oldest grandson, when I rattled their tent was so grateful. Because <laughs> he had been lying awake for, a, for three hours in the tent, terrified because he had been hearing. And he was so grateful that he didn't have to stay outside in the tent. So there's my one story from our camping trip. Uh, if you press me in another time, I'll tell another one. But that, <laughs> I don't want to spend any more time on that. Thanks to Pastor Tim for doing a great job last week uh, uh, going out of order. Originally, it wasn't out of order, but uh, we had lined up that uh, Pastor Tim was going to preach on that text, and Pastor Ben was going to preach on this other text, and then the way things fell out, uh, the schedule had to change, and they said, can't we just keep our same texts and do them out of order? And since, if you remember, a couple of years ago at Christmas time, we went gold, myrrh, and frankincense, we said, well, if we've done it once, we can do it again. So, uh, but we're back in order today. In part 19, 
part 19 of the series in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've now made it in all the way into chapter 7 of Matthew. We started back in March in chapter 5, and it's taken us all the way through March, April, May, June, and the very end of July to get all the way through two chapters. Aren't you glad I didn't decide to preach all the way through the whole gospel of Matthew 28 chapters? We'd, we'd have to delay the rapture till we finished. <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, this morning the, the holy huddle moved. You know, the worship team, they get together for prayer before, before the worship service. And they usually, in all the time that I've been here, they have met in that little conference room over there in the back. And uh, so I, I realized that I was supposed to be there and, and I went rushing because I was already late and I went rushing out into that area and there was nobody there. And I said, well, two weeks ago, uh, the room was busy and so we met in the gym for prayer and so I went to the gym and there's nobody there. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, is this the rapture? <laughs> And somehow I missed it? What? But then I found them. They were hiding. But I found them. Ryan gave it away. Jesus speaks about judging others. Let's get right into it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. There's really no way around this, is there? Judge not! That you be not judged. Judge not. That you be not judged. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be judged by others. I don't want to be judged by um, really anybody. And so if I, can, if I can avoid being judged, I'm willing to do what it takes to not be judged. Jesus says to us very directly, judge not. Do not judge others so that you yourselves won't be judged. And then he says, verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do you remember the Old Testament story of Esther, the book of Esther? And there's... um, there's Mordecai, Mordecai, who's Esther's cousin, uncle, uncle cousin. They're related. And uh, Mordecai, a Jewish man in exile in, in Babylon, is a, a righteous man. He's an honest man. And he is despised by the king's counselor, Haman. You know, you remember the story? You remember these names. Haman is out to get... Mordecai and everybody who's related to Mordecai, the whole Jewish nation in exile, he wants them all gone. And so part of the story of Esther is this clever plot that Haman executes to get rid of Mordecai and to make it legal for the people of Babylon to kill their neighbors who are Jewish in descent. He convinces the king to enact this law. And the plot becomes known, and Mordecai says to Esther, who is the the queen, the wife of the king, 
Esther, God has put you in place so that you might save your people. It is for such a time as this. You've heard that expression. It is for such a time as this, Esther, that God has put you where you are. And so Esther risks her life and goes to the king. And, uh, well, read the book, okay? Read the book of it. (laughs) But how the story turns out is that Haman has had a gallows executed, uh, built to execute his enemy, Mordecai. Now, Mordecai didn't know he was Haman's enemy, but he was. And, and Haman had this gallows built special just to see Mordecai's neck stretched on it. But at the end of the story, what happens? It's Haman who is hung on that gallows. And that story comes to mind when I read this verse. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, if this is true, and Jesus said it, so I have good reason to believe it's true. If this is true, it makes me want to be merciful and very generous in the way that I regard others, in the way that I pass judgment on others. Let me be a very lenient judge, especially because the way that I judge others I am going to be judged. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't make sense. That's, just, that's just good logic. That's just good math. Jesus goes on. This is, this is a very familiar uh, uh, idea, isn't it? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Isn't it interesting how much easier it is to notice the faults in other people than, than the faults in me. And maybe it's because the faults in me, I'm so used to them. I'm so accustomed to They've been with me for so long, I barely even notice them. I have just come to terms with, well, this is just who I am. It's just the way I am. Deal with it. It's just the way I am. Maybe we've become blind to our own faults because we have just said, it's just the way I am. Jesus says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? How quick we are. How quick we are to want to correct others when we see them make a mistake. My, uh, my adult sons, one of which is in the room, my adult sons take great pleasure in correcting my grammar. <laughs> or when I have said something awkwardly, they show me a more excellent way. And just when they see that I'm starting to get annoyed, they say something to me like, Dad, you started it. You taught us this. And I say, yeah, yeah, you're right. And then Jesus says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
the H word. Hypocrite. It's so much easier to hear that word when it is aimed at somebody else. But when Jesus addresses me and says, you hypocrite, that hurts. I don't like that at all. Do you? Jesus goes on and says, do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What does Jesus even mean when he says we shouldn't give holy things to dogs or throw precious things into the pigsty? It's, you know, it's, it's kind of common sense, right? If you've, if you've got a particular cut of steak. Let's, let's just say a tomahawk steak. Now, I've never had a tomahawk steak. I've, I've never even heard of it, except one of my sons wants one really badly. And so whenever I think about something that I don't want a dog getting a hold of, we had a, we had a tray of steaks marinating to be grilled on the kitchen counter one time. And uh, we heard a commotion in the kitchen. And when we went to investigate, we found the tray on the floor. And the dogs looking very pleased. What does it mean to not give holy things to dogs or precious things to be trampled in the mud of a pigsty? Let me give you an idea of what I think Jesus might be talking about. We, we sometimes, we Christians sometimes imagine ourselves to be crusaders. We've got this shield with the cross on it and we've got this sword of the spirit which is the word of god and we've got the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and we have girdled ourselves with truth and we have shod our feet in the preparation of the gospel of peace and we are waging war in our culture against wickedness in every place we look And we stomp around posturing and saying, God doesn't like it that you're doing this. Stop it. And we expect people to say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know God didn't like this. Thank you for telling me. Instead, that rarely happens, right? Instead, people say, God who? Because the people we're preaching to don't know this God we speak of. They don't honor his word. Why would they? 
Why would they honor words that in their mind have just been used as weapons against them? We have a young friend who uh, just this week, Kelly was telling me, posted something on Facebook about three. There was a picture of three. What did she call them? Old white Christian men, something like that. Picture of three men holding posters with messages of judgment. God is angry at you all the time, something like that. Is that the message that is winsome? Is that the approach that is going to win a lost world to faith? If my message, if, if I am declaring the righteous wrath of God against a sinful world, what, what compels that person to listen to me? The only thing that compels a person to listen to the message of the gospel is the Holy Spirit in them enlightening them to the words of truth. And if the Holy Spirit is not present and all I'm doing is spouting words of wrath and judgment and condemnation and judge and judge and judge and judge, people are not motivated to listen to what I have to say. They will just say to me, God who? When Moses went to Pharaoh... Here's another story from the Old Testament. You probably remember. Moses went to Pharaoh with a message from God. Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is this Lord of whom you speak? What did God have to do to get Pharaoh's attention? Ten plagues. It took God ten increasingly dramatic messages before Pharaoh finally said, reluctantly, okay, you can go. But even then, he had second thoughts and changed his mind, right? And it wasn't because Moses was such an excellent preacher. It was because the hand of God was made visible and evident and obvious to Pharaoh. Right? It took an act of God for Moses to be able to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. It took an act of God. It's going to take an act of God for you or I to reach this lost world. And if I don't have the power of God behind me, maybe I ought to just shut my mouth and do what Jesus said, and that is, let your light shine... So that others will see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You've probably heard this expression, uh, walk a mile in my shoes. Have you heard this expression? It's it's something that we say when, when someone is looking at me with a judging eye. You'll say, be careful that you understand me before you pass judgment on me. Walk a mile in my shoes. Learn what it is to be me. Learn something about my experience before you quickly judge who I am. I have um, something that I've said before, and I'm going to say it again. We, 
we seem to instinctively judge other people by their actions. We judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. You've heard me say this before. I know what my intentions are. I don't know what your intentions are. I just see what you do. I barely understand my own motivations a lot of the time. I can't possibly understand your motivations. We're complicated people. It's rarely ever just one thing that motivates me to do whatever it is that I do. There's a lot more going on than just that one thing. But when I think about my motivations, even when my actions don't produce the intended results, I am still quick to give myself grace. I'm very quick to forgive myself when I have messed up because I know my intention was honorable. I didn't mean to offend you. It doesn't mean you're less offended, though. Just because I didn't mean it. So I've thought about this, and I've come up with three vital facts to keep in mind. Whenever I am thinking about judging somebody else. Whenever that inclination comes into my head to look at another person's actions what they're doing or what they're saying, what bumper sticker they're um, driving around with or what yard sign they have. I had to mention the yard sign, didn't I? There's one I drive by almost every day. And there are days I drive by that yard sign and I want to... I'm not going to tell you what I want to you probably know. You probably had the same reaction. I, I wish that I would remember these three things before I, I start down that. Before I open that door and walk through and get up onto the judge's bench and put on the robe and pick up the gavel. I, I need to remember these things before that. <clears throat> Here's the first one. God is the judge. Seems so obvious that it ought to go without saying, but it doesn't go without saying. We need to say it. I need to remind myself, God is the judge. Hebrews 4.13 says this, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God is the judge and he sees everything. He sees all. God knows all. This is from Numbers 14, verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving Iniquity and transgression. We like that part of the verse. But it doesn't end there. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty. 
He will by no means allow the guilty to go unpunished. Nobody gets away with anything. Because God sees all and he knows all. He visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Sociologists understand this. Sociologists look at family history and they say, well, um, looking at looking at what's in the family history of this person, we can see the generation before, the generation before, the generation before. We can see some patterns following through generation after generation. Things, things our children learn about handling conflict because the, they've seen the way we handle conflict. And we handle conflict the way we do because we saw how our parents handled the conflict. And they learn from their parents. And so we begin to notice that there is really some, imagine that, there's some truth in what the Bible says. God sees all, God knows all, and thankfully... God is righteous. God is good. Here's a, here's a favorite verse of mine from Genesis chapter 18. Now, <clears throat> this, comes, this comes from the encounter between God and Abraham when God lets Abraham in on his intention. He's about to go and send his judging angels to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy them because of the wickedness that has arisen from those two cities. But Abraham knows his nephew Lot lives there. And so he, he goes to bat for Lot. He appeals to God for mercy for his nephew. And, and in that conversation, Abraham says this to God. Far be it from you, God, to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. This is the part I have underlined and highlighted and underlined and highlighted until uh, it bleeds through to the page behind it. In fact, it bleeds through to the chapter behind it. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? What is, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? God does what is right. Even when I don't understand it. I give... I give thought to this verse every time someone comes to me and says, Pastor, why does God allow this? Have you asked that question? Mom or dad asks the question, why is my child suffering like this? Why does God allow this? What have we done to deserve this? Why would God allow Evil to triumph. David asked this question again and again and again in the Psalms. 
Why do, the, why do evildoers prosper and the righteous struggle? You've asked this question. I know you have. I ask this question. And I very, very, very seldom ever get an answer that really satisfies me. And so I take satisfaction in this. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? I don't understand it. But I trust God. Can you say that? I don't understand what's happening. But I trust God. I trust in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Especially when I don't understand it. Somebody in the room. I said to somebody in the room just this morning, there's something in today's sermon for you. I hope you heard it. Here's the second vital fact to keep in mind. God is the judge and I am not God. I don't have his knowledge. I don't know all. I don't see all. I don't have his wisdom. I don't possess God's compassion. I don't love the way he loves. I don't have his patience. <laughs> Kelly and I had uh, three older grandkids this week, and Thursday uh, we got up early and we were taking them to Knobles Family Amusement Park in Pennsylvania. Have you been to Knobles? If you haven't been to Knobles, check it out. It's a great place to take children. It's a wonderful place to take children. I got up Thursday morning, and in part of my morning devotions, I prayed, Oh, God, give me patience with my grandsons today. I forgot to say, oh, God, give me patience with my wife today. I, I should have because uh, I, got, I got frustrated over a Dunkin' Donuts thing, but that's okay. We got through it. Friday morning, we got up. We, we kept them overnight and stayed in a hotel, and we're going to take them back on Friday. And uh, <laughs> we were walking to the elevator, and they're fighting over who's going to get to punch the button to call the elevator. There's three boys and there's a button to push on the outside and there's a button to push on the inside and one of them is not going to get to push a button. And so they're arguing about who's going to get to push the button. And Kelly was walking next to me and she said, Dennis, did you remember to pray for patience this morning? <laughs> and I hadn't yet. So thank you for that reminder. I don't have God's patience. And of course... I don't have God's power. So it's a good thing for you and everybody else around me that I am not God. And God has not delegated his authority to judge to me. That's a good thing for me to remember. I am not God. And then the third thing to keep in mind is uh, you're not God either. I don't, and I don't mean you specifically, I mean everybody else but me. I am not your judge, and you are not my judge. 
And that's a good thing for me. Because all the things that aren't true about me are also not true about you. Anybody else? I don't, I'm not pointing a finger at any of you particularly, so please don't take specific offense at that. If you want to take general offense, go ahead, but not specific offense. I'm not God and neither are you. This is really liberating to me because if I remember that you are not the judge of me, I don't have to spend so much time trying to get you to like me. Or at least not to hate me. Or at the very least not to judge me for what I'm wearing or what I'm doing or something about me. I don't have to worry about what other people are thinking about me. Somebody once told me this. Dennis, don't worry about what other people are thinking about you. Most of the time, they're not thinking about you at all. (laughs) Think about that. Most of the time, we're thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about anybody else. Don't worry about what other people are thinking about you. I don't have to be held in bondage by the idea of what other people will think or say about me if I do this. Also, I don't have to take up the hammer of God's righteous wrath and try to subdue the vile forces of evil around me. I don't have to do that. God has not given me that ministry. Would that be a ministry? Because when I do that, I am bearing a false image of who God is. When I run around with a hammer of judgment, bonking people on the head and trying to get them to stay in their hole, whack-a-mole, whatever, I am not portraying who God is, am I? I'm certainly not demonstrating that God's overwhelming motivation for everything he does is his all-consuming love of his creation, and especially humans that he made in his image. Even when we have taken crayons and marked all over the image of God in us, like that freshly painted wall. Now, that didn't happen at our house, just in case you're thinking that's an oddly specific example. I want to share another verse with you that has really helped me. And this is another thing that I have said to you before. I'm going to say it again. This comes from Romans 14 and verse 4. Fifteen years ago, I was pastoring a church in the city of Newburgh. And there were, at the time, 66 churches in the city of Newburgh, a city of about 30,000 people, with all different kinds of people and all different kinds of churches and all different kinds of church leaders. And I was trying to cooperate with people about whom I was noticing we thought and did things quite differently. And I, and I was wondering, can I cooperate with people who think and do things differently? And God gave me this verse. Who are you, Dennis, to pass judgment on the servant of another? The uh, New International Version 
that I memorized this verse. And who, who are you to pass judgment on another man's servant? It is to his master that he stands or falls. And he will stand. For his master is able to make him stand. I don't have to, I don't have to judge how other people are doing it. It's God's job. And he does it well. Have you felt the judgment of God? It's very different than the judgment of Dennis. I really hope you never feel the judgment of Dennis because I'm really trying hard not to let that out. Because that's not my right and it's not my responsibility to judge. But God does and he does it well. Because he sees, he knows, and he is good. And when he has something he wants to say to me, he knows how to say it to me in a way that I will hear it. It is to his master that he stands or falls. It is to God that I stand or fall. It is to God that you stand or fall. And I love this part of the verse. You and I, we will stand because God knows how to cause us to stand. There's this beautiful benediction in Jude. Uh, some, sometimes we say this at the end of the church service. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. God is able to make you stand and God is able to make me stand and he will make us stand because God is persistent in his good work in us. Amen? Amen. God is persistent in the good work he has begun and is doing in each one of us. Sometimes we resist. Sometimes we rebel. But God never quits. He is able to cause you and I to stand. That's the kind of judge I want to appear before. Now Solomon gives us this little bit of help uh, to give us some, some strength to shut up. Because sometimes it requires some self-control to shut up. By the way, I'm sorry for saying shut up. In my house growing up, these were on the forbidden words list. So I'm not telling you to shut up. I'm saying sometimes I need to shut up. This is what Solomon says in Proverbs 28, 26 and verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. You don't have to answer every foolish thing people say. You don't have to comment on every insane thing people post on their social media accounts. 
You don't have to react to everything. Let me get a witness here. Do you understand? You do not have to correct every person's error. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Boy, social media really shows us what this looks like. When, and I've, I made them, I've made this mistake. I have. I've engaged on social media with somebody who posted something I took offense to. And I tried to correct them. And it never, never goes the way you think it should. And pretty soon, other people are in. It's like mosquitoes drawn to fresh blood. Yeah, I've never been bitten by a shark, though. But mosquitoes, I know something about. But yes. This is where I need the discipline to shut my fingers up, turn my keyboard off, walk away, scroll past, don't react. Okay. People say crazy stuff. I've said some crazy things myself. You don't have to react to everybody's foolishness. And we would have a lot more civil interactions with one another if we learned the discipline of shutting ourselves up. Here's another verse that occurred to me in the subject of judging. There are those people around us who ought to know better, but they behave badly anyway. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, though, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So here's somebody who knows better or ought to know better, who does the wrong thing, and then they influence other people who maybe don't know better to do the wrong thing. And those are the people, those are the people that we really want to judge. I really do. There's, there's some college professor at a college uh, in, the, in the New England area that I want to have a strong talk with because of some influence he had over somebody I care about. He should have known better. But his influence gave this person I really care about permission to do something that was clearly disobedient to the law of God. They ought to know better. And I think this is the kind of thing that Jesus had in mind that when he said, don't cast your pearls into the mud at the feet of the pigs. They're just going to be trampled. Maybe even ruined permanently. Learn the art of shutting up. One last verse, 
And this one comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in the context of observing together communion, the Lord's table. When you come together to observe the Lord's table, Paul says everyone should examine themselves because when you, when you come to the Lord's table and you eat the bread and you drink the cup carelessly or, uh, or fl- frivolously, you're drinking judgment on yourself. And Paul says, for this reason, many among you are sick and some have even fallen asleep, which is a euphemism for dying. And then he says this, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So let every one of you examine himself or herself. Let every one of us examine ourselves. Let's judge ourselves. The only person that I have authority to judge is that guy who stares out at me from the mirror over the bathroom sink. That's the guy I have a problem with. He's the guy I have to wrestle with. It's his sin nature that I have to contend with every day. And if I judge him appropriately, I don't have to fear anybody else's judgment. Does that make sense to you? So the next time you go and brush your teeth and you're looking in that mirror, and you're looking at that eye looking back at you, that crazy eye looking out that mirror at you, you're saying, you better get it right today. Because I'm not going to want to have to face you tonight and listen to your lame explanation for why you did that foolish thing today. If we judge ourselves, we will not be judged by others. Three things I want you to remember today. God is the judge. He sees, he knows, he's good. I'm not the judge and neither are you. Let's stay in our lane, shall we? Don't forget, after 15 minutes after the service ends, we're going to gather up here to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, how it speaks to us. Thank you for your people, how, how glad I am to be among my family and friends here today. And I thank you, Father, that your word speaks clearly and truly to us, even when we don't like it. And I pray, Father, that you will really help me to look at the, the person who looks out at me from the mirror and be a faithful, honest, diligent judge of that one and no one else. And trust you to do your part. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the, to the only God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.